Hello, and welcome to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. In this seventh of a seven-part series, Dorje Lopan Dr. Han Lai teaches about the bardo, or intermediate state between death and birth, through an exploration of Padmasambhava's root verses of the six bardos. This text is part of the great liberation upon hearing, revealed by Karma Lingpa, often known in the West as the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Urban Dharma is a Buddhist temple in the heart of Asheville, North Carolina. We are supported by your generosity and by our online store, TibetanSpirit.com. To learn more about us, come visit our temple in person, or look us up online at UdharmaNC.com. Thanks for listening. a kind of fear of unwilling because of fear yeah, because of fear and fear what is fear fear is attachment if you have attachment you have fear if you don't have attachment then there's no fear because you see you fear because because you want what you know and you don't want what you don't know so so what we can train now is to not fear what we don't know. So before we do something, we say, oh, I want to calculate everything before I do it. Yes, it's good to be careful, but there's a line between being careful and being controlling. So if we train now to give up control, be conscientious, but being conscientious and being controlling are two different things. So if we learn in our daily lives to give up controlling situations, one thing to control how people feel, one thing to control how people react, give up all of that, that's giving up the unknown, fear of the unknown. Why you're so controlling is because you fear the unknown. And if we give up fearing the unknown, then when the time comes, that also will be less. Then we have to also trust in karma. If, if we engage in virtuous karma now, then the circumstances of our death will also be different. Yeah, it will also be different. From, from this perspective, we actually don't want. Uh, I last night at the hospice, I said, you know, I said, if uh, the venerable is not sitting here, and if y'all don't think that I'm some kind of expert, just in this room, if I ask, who wants to die in their sleep? I said, everybody probably would put their hand up, right? Or who wants to die suddenly? Huh? And also, everybody put their hands up. But from a practitioner's point of view, we actually don't want to die in our sleep. Yeah. For a practitioner's point of view. Huh? We want to die very clearly. Awareness. Yeah. So there's one prayer that we say, may I die joyfully and happily in the great luminosity of the mind. 
Now, of course, if you are not a practitioner, if you don't have enough, uh, then maybe it's better to die while you're unaware. Uh, at least there's no fear. At least there is no anger. To die in pain is problematic because then you'll be very angry. You know? So I was telling how in the case uh, this old monk um, in where I went to graduate school in Charlottesville, Virginia. I think I stopped this. Oh, maybe not. Uh oh. <laughs> um, so, um, this old monk, uh, his caretaker was a good friend of mine. Uh, is a good friend of mine. And she's a nurse. And she said that uh, as this old monk was, you know, uh, he had a lot of uh, physical pain. But uh, throughout those physical pain, uh, he, he was very careful about how much uh, painkiller that he was taking. Because he found that the painkiller that he was taking at a certain point would make his mind fuzzy. You know? But last night at the hospice, uh, some of the doctors actually, that were there, they said, no, actually, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't necessarily... Yeah, they say in their experience, you know, people who are given morphine and all that, they are still very clear. Uh, and I said that I think the difference is that uh, for a meditator who has highly sensitized their mind, uh, they will note levels of fuzziness that we don't even we are not even aware of. Uh, right now, we think we're very clear, but to a meditator, we are completely fuzzy. Uh, you know, we think we're very clear, uh, but so I think to meditators, their minds are so sensitive. So taking even like caffeine and things like that, it it it, it causes you know movements, and so this monk, uh, my friend was saying, you can tell you know like even the doctor has prescribed these painkillers, he is taking as he was taking as little as possible, because he didn't like what it was doing to his mind. So he was able to balance between enduring the pain and having clarity of mind. So in the end, when he passed away, uh, he, he was in a state of clear light for three days. So they, they basically, he died at home uh, and they locked up the house, didn't allow anybody to go in except for one Kempo, a young Kempo, who went every day, twice a day, to check to see if we, we call this in Tibetan uh, Tukdam. Tukdam is the state of clear light where he is finishing all his meditations. So until he's finished all his meditation, do not move the body, do not touch the body. Uh, but he was in a state of Tukdam for three, I think two or three days. Three days, I think. Uh, then uh, one drop of blood came out of his nose. Then the Kembo said, okay, he has finished his Tukdam. 
that means he was able to remain in clear light. Earlier I said clear light, just a moment for all of us, most of us. But because of all his training, he was able to prolong his clear light. Now, earlier I said clear light, attainment of enlightenment. Not necessarily enlightenment. It's that during maintaining this clear light, he can complete his meditation and kind of take his spiritual level to another level. Then he'll be born wherever he's born, he's fine. He can continue his uh, kind of practice without falling back. It's also possible that in a state of clear light, you can be enlightened. Then, of course, you know, no more continuing to practice. But to be able to remain in the state of clear light uh, allows you to finish your meditation. Now, some very good questions came up during the break, so I'll repeat what I said. Then the question of, well, what about people who don't know any of these things, but they follow other traditions? Like, for example, Pure Land, Chinese Pure Land. They say you just repeat Amitabha's name, and then Amitabha and the two bodhisattvas will come. Does that mean this dissolution doesn't happen? No, 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 no. The dying is all the same. It's a matter of whether you, you notice or not. So even in the case of like uh, dying in an accident, instant death, right? All these stages you go through, but like that. So no chance right, to see these stages. Now, what about uh, someone who practices uh, Chinese Pure Land? Well, uh, how come these instructions that I was uh, going through, how come they don't have that? Because it's not necessary. Because their technique there is to, instead of giving reassurance by having them get used to uh, recognizing what is going on, they turn their attention towards the expectation of Amitabha. And in Tibetan Buddhism, we also have that practice. It's called Powa. So in Powa, you don't need to pay attention to all these signs. You only need to know, okay, I think I'm dying now. And then do Powa, which is directing your consciousness to Amitabha. Same. Uh, except that here they say, oh, the central channel, then the essence of your consciousness, shoot it out of your body and joining with Amitabha. It's just the Tibetan way of Jing It's the same. Because your mind is now directed to Amitabha rather than paying attention to how this dissolves. Yeah? So it's a different method, but the same principle is involved. It cannot be different in terms of how the body dissolves and the mind dissolves. It's the same. Uh, uh, one story, uh, the head of, of, our order, of my order, uh, was telling of a case uh, not too long ago because a lot of these stories we think, you know, is all from 19 Kong Kong. <laughs> How come no more recent stories, you know? So he told us the case of uh, this couple, mm, German couple. Uh, the husband and wife were the people who started one of the first uh, Dugong Kagyu centers in Germany. And so they 
they also uh, took care of the center. I don't remember whether they actually live at the center or not, but they took care of the center. Uh, not very old, uh, but the husband died uh, recently, maybe a year or a year or two ago. Uh, so when uh, His Holiness went to Germany, uh, the husband already died, so the wife came to see him. Of course, the wife was still very sad. So the wife told His Holiness um, what happened. His Holiness asked, could you tell me? Then she said, actually, uh, as he was there, uh, you know, um, dying, um, the days that led up to that, he, 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 he kept saying to her, uh, let's do poa more, a few times each day. And so, you know, he, he will have his text, he was lying down, and then the wife will have the text, and together they were doing the poa practice. So they were doing many times each day. Then as it got closer, of course she didn't know it was getting closer, but he somehow knew. Uh, then the day before, he said, I, I think it's tomorrow. So could you go out to today and buy offerings, flowers, fruit, candles. Uh, I want to have all the offerings set up in our shrine in our altar. Then he asked her to prepare all the different offerings to put on the altar. And then he could see that all the offerings are out. Uh, and then uh, when the time came, uh, he said to her, okay, I, I'm now too weak. I, I cannot chant. But you, you chant, start. You know, do the poa practice. And so while she was doing the poa for him, he passed away. Then, His Holiness said, as she was telling the story, she was crying. Then His Holiness said, uh, I don't mean to be insensitive, uh, but uh, why, why are you crying? Then suddenly she, she goes, oh, that is true. Because he knew when he was going to go. He prepared for it. And then the wife said, actually, actually, that morning, after he passed away, when I came out of the house, there were several rainbows in the sky. Then his owner said, then when she said that, she herself started laughing. And his owner said, yeah, what else do you want, you know? Well, these are all the signs that they say, if you practice power, you will know when it's going to happen. You can prepare for it and there will be rainbows in the sky. All those signs happen. And Solana said, this is not some man huh, in a cave meditating for 20 years. This is husband and wife, very sincerely practicing it. The wife helped the husband to transition, and all these wonderful signs were there. So it's not so impossible. Don't, don't, don't think like that, you know? If you cannot remember all these signs, yeah, don't worry. There are other methods. If you turn your attention to that. So the key point here is uh, um, letting go and not having fear. Instead, to let go and to be joyful.
So whether it's you are Christian and you believe that Jesus is going to come, no? or you are Amitabha pure land disciple and you believe Amitabha is going to come, or the peaceful and wrathful deities are going to come, I think all those are just culturally different manifestations. Uh, I think I said, you know, my slight pride as a Buddhist is, I think Buddhism provides us with a very good explanation to even explain what other people in other religions experience. So at death, right, you can either go happily, or, or at least without fighting it, or you go fighting it. If you go fighting it, this is when people talk about seeing uh, all the good harvabin with the chains coming. Because then, then basically your mental formation at the last moment is an unhappy mental formation. So then you will be dragged to the next life. Or dragged away from this life. But if your mental formation is pure land, then of course you will see huh, the Sivam Sansan coming. Because that's your mental formation. But if you're a different religion, your mental formation is Jesus, then you will see Jesus coming. These are mental formations. Then, regardless, it's joyful. So, what we can decide is, we, we have no say in whether we're going to die or not. <laughs> that, that we cannot negotiate. But where we have a say is, uh, is it going to be pleasant or unpleasant? There, we can say. We can decide. Pleasant or unpleasant. The next one, Now as the barter of becoming dawns upon me, I will keep my mind focused on the single goal and stay firmly connected with the force of my good karma. I will remember to block the wombs and turn back from them. Since this is a time to persevere and keep pure perception, I cast aside envy and instead visualize the guru with consort. This is uh, kind of, again, very technical. Maybe we don't need to say so much about this because um, if you practice well, you don't need to go into this bargain. Here, generally what it's saying is, uh, I will stay firmly connected with the force of my good karma. So after all the visions that you have in the bardo, the last bardo, now you start having visions of where you are going to be born. So here it says, let me be focused on the single goal. And what would this goal be? If you come to this point of the bardo, the main goal is to achieve a human rebirth. So here it says, remember to block the wombs. That means to block rebirth in the hell realm, the hungry ghost realm, uh, the animal realm, 
the Asura realm and the God realm. So you block the others. The Omani Pemehun talks about blocking all six, right? So what is it that you're blocking in the human realm? You block being born in the condition that is not conducive to practice. So you block that. So you leave open the best possible rebirth in the human realm. Yeah? Which is to be born where you have the best possible conditions to learn the Dharma and to practice the Dharma. Uh, so then here it says you have to keep pure perception in this stage. What is it talking about? Here it's talking about when you are going to be reborn as a human, what happens is that at this stage in the Bardo, uh, you will be attracted to a light. And that light, you can see that light, that light is actually produced as a result of uh, your future parents when they are engaged in sexual intercourse, you, the power of your karma will pull you there uh, so that you take rebirth. When uh, the sperm and the ovum comes together, then your consciousness latches onto that and you, you then are born. Now, here it says you, you have to keep pure perception. Uh, meaning, you have to visualize your future parents. Instead of seeing your father as an ordinary person and your mother as an ordinary person, you should visualize that as the Buddha, male and female. You should transform them uh, into Buddha. Because here is why. Mm. Ordinary beings, because of our habit from many lifetimes, uh, this habit of sexual desire, so when we get pulled to the scene and we see these two persons, if it is an ordinary birth, then because of uh, karmic uh, conditioning, we have sexual desire arising because we're watching these two people. Uh, we have a memory of what that is like. Then it says, if we have envy towards the mother, then we will be born female. If we have envy towards the father, then we will be born male. So here it says, instead, when that happens, you perceive that as male and female Buddha in union. But it's not like actual male and female Buddha. Male means compassion, female means wisdom. So instead of seeing it as ordinary, you, you perceive that as wisdom and compassion coming together. Then because of the union of wisdom and compassion, you take birth. Rather than because of 
envy, which is anger, and desire, you take rebirth. So this life, we took rebirth as humans based on desire for a female and attachment, uh, uh, sort of anger towards male, uh, or the other way. Uh, then we took rebirth. Uh, then that habit pattern uh, is kept throughout our lives. So that sort of sexual preference, in a way, is also determined there. So then that is kept very strong. Then towards our life, if we live like that, then of course when death happens, this continues. But if at, if at conception, you're able to see that as wisdom and compassion, then when you're born, you naturally have less obsession with sexual desire. Uh, instead, you are naturally have more compassion, naturally have more wisdom. See, when, when uh, anger, mm, when the energy of anger, okay, when energy is confused, it manifests as anger. When that energy, that same energy, is free from confusion, it manifests as wisdom. When that energy is confused, it manifests as desire or attachment. When that energy is free from confusion, it manifests as compassion. Can you see how Wisdom is actually closely related to anger. Some wise people have very little patience for others. They think that everyone is simply idiots. They have no time for them. So the anger is very strong. Likewise, compassion, right? Or people who have a lot of desire, actually, they have a lot of compassion. Or the energy is the same. You just need to turn it around. Then they become very compassionate. Likewise, people with a lot of anger actually have a lot of potential to develop wisdom. You just have to turn it around. Then it's wisdom. So this is what is talking about here, this last verse. So that you train yourself so that when you finally have to take rebirth as a human, Instead of perceiving your future parents uh, in an ordinary way and therefore desire and anger arises and you take rebirth, you transform. And that is when you can say you become a tuku. These days we think tuku is, you know, someone who has been recognized and this and that. That is a Tibetan tradition. That, that sort of serve Tibetan politics and Tibetan religion and Tibetan society. It has served Tibetan society well until now. From now on, it's a question mark whether it will serve Tibetan interests or not. Because politically, things have changed. It used to be the Tuku of the monastery also have a lot of 
not direct political power, but very strong indirect political power. So get the local powers have to listen to them. Right? But now things have changed. So the outside of the Tibetan cultural context, how you can become a Tuku is how you take rebirth. If you take rebirth in a pure way, transform that whole experience, then you manifest as a tuku, a nirmanakaya, which is a physical manifestation of enlightened qualities. So if your conception is based on wisdom and compassion, rather than anger and attachment, then, then you are tuku. So this is the six of the six barters. Now questions. More questions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With the careless attitude that there is plenty of time, yes, all of us, <laughs> while striving and struggling at the pointless aims of this life, if I now return empty-handed, I shall have confused my goal. Right? So he's saying, don't. Huh? Don't have that attitude. Oh, still got a lot of time. Huh? <laughs> huh? Never mind. Later I can practice. When I am done uh, studying, then I can practice. Then you say, oh, now I have to go build a career. Oh, when I'm done building a career, I'm going to start my practice. Then now, you have to take care of grandkids. Then you're like, oh, when I'm done taking care of grandkids, then I can practice. Then now you're too busy huh, going to the doctors. Then you're like, oh, when I'm done taking care, seeing the doctors, then I can practice. And then you're never done. Huh? Uh, the affairs of the world can never be completed. <laughs> never. So here it says, don't. While striving and struggling at the pointless aims of this life, if I now return empty-handed, that means if I go to death with nothing, then I have confused my goal. Since the sacred dharma is my main priority, shouldn't I rather practice the dharma now? Since this is what my gracious guru taught me, if I don't keep his instructions in mind, won't I just be fooling myself? So now it's like, take this to heart. Okay? To whatever degree we can, take this to heart. Okay? Then, you know, whatever situation that we are in, whatever the circumstances of our life, whatever the responsibilities that we have right now, you don't need to, you know, quite literally throw them away. You perform them. Uh, but if you can perform them with a different understanding, with, with a different attitude. Then, even if you're still at work, work can become a place to apply the practice. Studying can become a place to apply the practice. Taking care of children and grandchildren can be a place 
transform into practice. If we don't know how to practice, even if you go to the monastery, you go into the mountains, you still have distractions. There's a lot of things to fight over in the monastery. And there's a lot of distractions even in the cave. Um, because, you know, ultimately, uh, distractions don't come from outside. <laughs> it's inside. Right? So there was a uh, story about this, this guy, this monk, who lived in the village for a long time. So one day he heard, finally, he got it, that uh, you should go to the mountains into a cave and meditate. So then he said, oh, then I have to give away all my things. Then he gave away all his things. Then he went into the mountains, into a cave to meditate. Then uh, three years, four years later, he came back. So everybody thought, oh, wow, he must have achieved some good results. Then he said, no, 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 no. I decided to just come home. Then they said, why? They said, because for the last three or four years, all I have been doing in the cave is thinking about all the stuff that I've given away. <laughs> He said, that's all I did for three, four years. Just thinking about all the things that I've given away. So I thought I might just come, might as well just come back. Because if you cannot give up, you know, then... <laughs> I remember reading Ajahn Sumedho talking about it. Uh, he says that, uh, actually, you know, uh, he said the Buddha was very skillful. So that when he gave the rule that monks should only have the eight requisites, yeah? uh, it's not so much that uh, the Buddha was sadistic and say, you know, my monks cannot have all the good things in life. They should have only eight. Uh, but he says that instead, the Buddha is very skillful. Because what he has done is, he has limited our access to only these eight essentials. So then what happens when you have done that is not so much that your desire has become less. The desire is still the same. But now your desire becomes concentrated, your attachment becomes concentrated to only these eight things. And when that happens, you can see the burden of your desire more clearly. More clearly. It doesn't mean that you have less desire. But now, all your desires that you used to distribute into a thousand things, now only in eight. So he said that the first few years, uh, of his life as a monk. Uh, he was so protective of his bowl. <laughs> Even when other people, he said, comes near the bowl, he can feel, uh, don't, 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 don't come near my bowl. Uh, sort of like this, almost like a, a unnatural obsessiveness. And so he said, people who don't understand monastic training by, might say, uh, your desire has become unnatural. Uh, because if you have more things, you won't obsess like this. But he said, no, 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 no. Actually, Buddha knew exactly what he was doing. He was, he was just getting us to see more clearly that how much energy we waste in 
investing our desire in all sorts of things. And so that when he limited it to only eight, then you can see very clearly how much desire there is. So for example, rich people, you know, they, you, you, you might look at them and you say, oh wow, they, uh, they don't seem very attached. That's because they have so many things, you know. So they have like distributed all their attachment to all these things. So if they lose a few things, it seems like it doesn't matter to them. But actually it's not. It's just they have so many things to distribute their attachment. Huh? But at death, oh, terrible. <laughs> really terrible. Now, of course, poor people also terrible. <laughs> at death, they're thinking, oh, my son, no money. My granddaughter, no money to go to school. But then also, attachment. So the point is not being poor or being rich. The point is not being young or being old. No matter what station in life you are in. And the point is, do you want to practice or not? And to practice is not to practice so that you can become a saint, so that you can become something special. It's just the smart thing to do. <laughs> It's just the smart thing to do. So, questions? Yes? Uh, earlier you said at the point where the, when you're at inception of the new uh -huh. uh, if you, you see the woman with anti, yes, and you become reborn as a woman with yes. And you see the man with the anger to be born as a man. Yes. Okay. So does this mean that uh, you have the power to decide whether you become a man or a woman? Um, good question. Uh, when they say this, I think it's ultimately, of course, you have the power. But it's more the habit. Yeah? So it's not like you're coming to the scene and it's neutral. And then you have to go, wait, who, who am I going to be envy of and who am I going to desire? It's like there's already a natural, you know, from habit. But it does mean that if at that point huh, you, you say it's more beneficial to beings, right? if, if you're really motivated by compassion, and you say, it's more beneficial if I become a woman, then you can decide, I'm going to become a woman. That was Tara's vow. <laughs> Tara says that every single lifetime, she's going to be a woman. Because some monk told her, you know, you all know the story of Tara? the first feminist in all history. <laughs> the true feminist. It said that Tara was a young girl and she, and she lived in a time uh, where people lived for 80,000 years. So she spent many, many tens of thousands of years 
uh, accumulating merit. Then when she has accumulated all this merit, she appeared in front of the Buddha of her time. Then the Buddha of her time praised her and told all the stories about all the wonderful things that she did to accumulate merit. So all the other monks, you know, were listening and thinking maybe, hmm, okay lah. Yeah. Then finally, uh, when the Buddha stopped praising her, it said that one of the monks went over to her and said, so now that you as a woman has accumulated all this great merit that the Buddha just talked about, you should dedicate this merit and say that in my next life, I will be born as a man. So this monk clearly thinks it's better to be a man. So Tara listened to what this monk said and then she said, okay, now I will do my dedication. Then she said, by the power and the merit of everything that the Buddha said that I have accumulated, I'm dedicating all this merit towards that from lifetime to lifetime, without interruption, I will always be born as a woman. (laughs) Then the monk goes, Ayo! (laughs) And she said, you know, no, that's more beneficial. Yeah, so she said that, she said, you know, guess what? (laughs) I'm going to dedicate it so that I'm always going to be a woman. So, the original feminist. questions? Don't be shy. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, so the Bardo teachings talk about uh, that the, the generally uh, the longest period of time that one is in the bardo, meaning bardo, uh, meaning bardo uh, five and six. Yeah, the longest period of time is forty-nine days. Uh, it doesn't mean that everybody will spend forty-nine days. Uh, some sooner than forty-nine days, then rebirth has taken place. Oh, or sometimes not rebirth, but uh, not rebirth in the six realms. Uh, even within Bardo, it's possible to be, uh, you know, ejected out to pure land. <laughs> um, so uh, they say, especially the first three weeks is actually the most crucial. Uh, after the three weeks. Uh, it's most crucial in the sense that uh, whatever other people do 
to try to help this person, it's most effective within the first three weeks. Yeah. After the first three weeks, uh, of course, it's still beneficial, but not so easy to turn the course of. <laughs> After the three weeks, more or less, where you're going to be reborn and to whom is is uh, quite quite clear already. Uh, but but the first three weeks, even if generally you're moving towards uh, being, you know, born as an orangutan. Um, still things can kind of be moved uh, so that you're born in a different place. There are stories, kind stories that we have read where immediately after a person died, the person can go to the temple and ask for precepts. And, uh, uh, so that will be in a bardo form. Yes. Because of habit, yes. Yeah, likewise, we when we enter the bado, yes, but it's uh, it's very powerful. They say when you're in the bado, because your mind is freed from the constraints of the body, so then it can go anywhere. For most of us, we'll probably go shopping. <laughs> That's our, you know, that's our our mental formations. So we'll get stuck on Amazon. Not even Queen's Bay, you know, get stuck in a computer, going shopping. <laughs> I don't think most of us will go to the what to look for refuge. <laughs> we'll go shopping. <laughs> So, may I ask, so within these 49 days, does the review good marriage and so bad marriage with direct effect? Uh, wait, who? If our family members uh -huh. help us to build up good marriage or bad marriage, so would it? Ah, uh, they say that bad marriage, the, the strange thing about uh, merit and uh, demerit uh, is that. Uh, Virtue can be dedicated, non-virtue cannot be transferred. Luckily. <laughs> uh, we don't know why. Uh, I don't think I've seen any good explanation, but apparently only merit can be dedicated. And uh, uh, Akusala Kama cannot be dedicated. You can transfer the money to buy the car. Debts, you cannot. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Debts are not transferable, uh, but money is always transferable. Yes. Just like in legal matters, you know, uh, I think, yeah, you can, debt, your debt cannot be settled by anyone else except your estate. But whatever is left can be given. Yeah. So if let's say our family members in these forty-nine days that they kill the ducks or even that's their problem. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's their problem, actually. Sometimes, like before people die, they say they see their 
Father of dying. Father of dying. Yeah. So the dissolution that I was talking about, right? Those are not the only things going on. There's a whole bunch of other things going on. That's the problem. So that's why you cannot stay focused. There's a whole bunch of other things. So what are these other things? All your regrets, all your desires, they all come back. But but it's not actually coming back, you know. Because if it is actually coming back, huh, all of us will be very busy. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So as you are dying, huh, you suddenly see your your grandmother turning up, right? But it's not actually your grandmother turning up. Because I could be your grandmother now in this body. If that was actually the case, then suddenly I'm talking here, I have to turn up at your deathbed. <laughs> right? So it's not actually your grandma turning up. It's your your projection. Yeah. Again, last night at the hospice, I said, uh, you have to take seriously the dying person saying, oh, this is here, oh, this is there, right? You have to take that seriously. But you should, you, 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 you should not believe that actually those things are there. Eh? The reason you have to take that seriously is then you have to work with the dying person to, to soothe them, eh? to pacify their worries, their concerns, all of that. Maybe their regrets. Ah, it's all, yeah, their regrets, their desires, all will come back. Uh, mental formations because uh, the mind is still you know have to exhaust all sorts of things so it's working out all those things so it will come back but you as the care provider should not have any fear at all because no those ghosts are not there if those ghosts are there there will be a lot of traffic jam in the ghostly place (laughs) because you not only one life you know so how are you going to turn up simultaneously at so many places? Then all that we are doing is turning up at people's deathbed. <laughs> yeah. You know? So the caretaker don't have to worry absolutely at all. Nobody is turning up. It's just the dying person's projection. Yeah. Because sometimes I know we fear, oh, you know. Whose ajaw is back, you know? If I interfere after I get trapped, you know? No, 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 no. no nothing is turning up except their own stuff. Their own karma is manifesting. So then you have to figure out how to provide the best circumstances for this person to pass. There's, there's one time my friend shared with me and at the very last moment, the day before she died, mm-hmm. we went to visit her. Mm-hmm. And she's very weak already, sleeping in the room, saying like, I don't want the light, you know, see the light, you know. So, but before that, we have already uh, uh, tell her about chanting or uh, prayer, or mm-hmm. she know already. 
But when we, when we were there, we asked her, we remind her to say, uh, you chant, uh, you just uh, come down, yes. there's nothing to worry. Then you just chant the, 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 the mantra. Yes. Then she was like scared, you know. There's, there's something like, I don't know what. It seems like, even though we know, we know in, in before we know that uh, we have to practice, but when facing the yes, yes. scared, Yes, yes. The fear will come up. But also, that's also because karma ripens. You never know. So you could do very well. Then last minute, some kind of karma from the past might ripen. So that's why now when you're alive, you want to purify as much as possible. You want to purify negative karma as much as possible. There's one story about, you know, Tibetans tell this story. Some very well-known Rinpoche, that means meaning very good teacher, everything. So he passed away. Of course, true or not true, who knows, yeah? But of course, the story has a lesson. It says that, uh, so then he passed away. Then uh, he was going to Amitabha's Pure Land. So like, you know, Pyuha, Pyuha, you know. <laughs> kind of floating away you know. but uh, right at that time they were performing his funeral then he heard the sound of the symbols right and then at that moment he thought my symbols because he could tell from the sound that it was his symbols then boom cannot get to the pure land. So even that, you know, even attachment to a pair of symbols can drag you back. <laughs> so give away the symbols before. <laughs> uh, then then you, you, sometimes you worry, you know, you say, well, I don't know if I should start giving away. After that, what about if I don't die? You know? <laughs> like I say, you know, oh, what if I don't die? You know? But no, no, no. You cannot calculate things like this. You have to trust also huh, that karma is at play. Right? So if, if you are, you're motivated to start giving away, and then when the time comes, it doesn't come. Right? Then you're like, well, this is karma. <laughs> So, so you, you cannot. So you just have to trust. Yeah. Uh, I'm also not saying now start giving away. You know? But you do whatever feels right. Sincerely. Yeah. Sincerity. Yeah. If sincerely now you cannot give, don't force. Because if you cannot give, and, and just because you, you hear, oh, I have to give, then grudgingly you give away, then you're going to be like the guy that went up to the cave. Ah, so then at the last moment, you look around the room, you say, why? I don't want to give all this away. Then death occurs, then habits. So also cannot simply give away. The main point is not giving or not giving away. Giving away or not giving away. The main point is you have to train your mind. 
because we didn't face that actual situation we are now like rehearsal ah. <laughs> and the rehearsal is sometimes that's actual. why you have to do more real rehearsal <laughs> not crossing the road without looking, huh? Not that kind of rehearsal. Not that kind of rehearsal, right? That kind of rehearsal we call what? Saosengong <laughs> Tiukang. Not that kind of rehearsal. But what kind of rehearsal? Uh, last night I suggested some homework. Think that you just received a call from your doctor that said that you have three more months. Of course, we are afraid to do that exercise. And also, you should not do that exercise unless you're feeling okay. If you're feeling a little bit sad now, don't do this exercise. <laughs> yeah, I mean seriously, because it might get you very depressed, then the exercise don't work effectively. But the best is like when you're feeling okay, when you're feeling healthy, you're feeling confident, then that's the best time to do this exercise. Then now, think. You have just received news that you have three more months. Then, for the next week, okay, Always think you have three more months. Then you begin to write down all your fears, all your concerns, all your unfinished business that you want to finish. Do that. Then you'll see you know, how, how strong, how prepared or not. That's what you have to do. So I suggested that as homework, uh, but the group thought I was serious and say, so are you coming back next week so that we can talk about this? I said, actually, <laughs> I'm giving the homework, but I'm not marking. <laughs> yeah, so I, but they said they're going to do it. They, they were going to get their own members to run this workshop. I said, it's actually a very good workshop. Yeah. Yeah, so then you, yeah. then you share among yourselves what kind of emotions that whole week. And you'll see your up and down. So someone in that group's uh, actually had a situation like that, you know, and he said, oh, you have no idea all the ups and downs. You know, I said, tch, 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 tch. secret, don't tell that. <laughs> Everybody should experience themselves. So sometimes up, sometimes down. So all the fears, I said, write down and then come and share together. Then next part of the workshop, actually very useful, is also uh, the practical side. Then I said, if you all can arrange this, and then get like a, a, a legal advisor or someone to come in to talk about what are the things that you need to do so that you know that when you're gone, you don't leave a whole stack of problems for other people. Then go find out how much it costs to get rid of this stinking thing. <laughs> Meaning funeral costs. Then you set aside, make sure there is that money. Don't say, you know, someone else can take care of it. So once you plan all those things, you know, you take care of all of that, then it's easier. Then, then it's less of a fear. You can just go plan all those things, you know. Uh, so one time I was talking about this, I gave the example. A friend of mine 
who a uh, very dedicated Dharma practitioner. Uh, at that time, he wasn't married. Uh, but he said to me, uh, on the phone we were talking about this, and he said, oh, I think he heard me talking about this, and he said, oh, by the way, uh, he said, um, my most important unfinished business, I will leave on top of my shrine. <laughs> he said that. He says, so uh, if I suddenly die, and uh, you hear about it, and he said, I also told some other people that my most important unfinished business, I'm going to leave on top of my shrine. So whatever money that is left, uh, use that money to finish that business. Then the remainder, do whatever, it doesn't matter to me. And it turns out in this case is all his, because he's a translator, of uh, Buddhist texts from Tibetan into English. So his, his greatest kind of concern is that he wants all these projects to be completed, finished, so that it can be of benefit to others. So then, so now, you know, every day when he's finished his translation, or whatever part he has finished until, he put on top of his shrine. So he has figured out to him, that is the only thing that he will worry about. Whether he can finish doing all this work or not. So that's good, you know, when we know what our greatest concern is, then we'll tell a few people and say, if I die before I finish, please help me to finish all this business. Of course, you have to be realistic. You know? <laughs> please help me to save the world. Are you? <laughs> So those are, you know, ways to make it real. And still, it won't be real. It will be ups and downs. But we have to trust right, that now. So we dedicate, you know. So we make prayers and say, when the time comes, may it be smooth, joyful, and happy. So we, we, we make our aspirations. Then we have to trust, you know, whatever happened will happen. We have to have a healthy balance between being prepared and not being worried. You know, even worrying about all the bad things that can happen, you know, like, oh, last minute fear or last minute hear your symbols. <laughs> you, know? you cannot worry too much. But you should listen to that and say, ah, yes, I need to prepare. But at the same time, you need to let go. Because part of the whole thing is letting go. If you try to control every element of what will happen at the time of death, that's also counterproductive, not possible. <laughs> it's hard for us to, uh, and sometimes not just us, but people close to us, when they want to talk about it, we are also very uncomfortable. We don't want to talk about it. I noticed that myself. You know, when my parents want to talk about it, it's like, no, 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 no. You know? uh, but this is our cultural habit, especially in our culture. I noticed, like, for Americans, it's less. They, they, they can kind of talk about it. In part, I think, because their society... Uh, 
life expectancy is quite long, so people have less of a fear of death. Uh, but if we live in societies where life expectancy is low, then I think there's a greater fear that somehow if you talk about it, it's going to happen sooner. <laughs> so, habis. <laughs> So at the end, of course, always uh, we uh, dedicate merit of uh, what we have accumulated. Uh, here, uh, let's think about dedicating all this merit, whatever merit that has been accumulated. Uh, we dedicate it uh, so that uh, when any being and all beings, when they come to the point where they have to make the transition from the current life to the next life. Um, may they all uh, be able to make that transition uh, without fear, uh, without pain, but joyfully and happily, uh, recognizing the nature of their minds, and then enter the clear life state. And in that way, uh, swiftly attain Buddhahood for the benefit of all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting our mission to foster a deeper understanding of the teachings of the Buddha, to build meaningful community, and to integrate contemplative teachings into everyday life. We invite you to make a donation online at udharmanc.com or make a purchase at our store, tibetanspirit.com. Thank you. May all beings benefit.